Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I greet 2018 and each other with warmth, weariness, and two hours of comic book chitter-chatter. Among the topics discussed are Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles by Mark Russell, Mike Meehan, Mark Morales, and Paul Mounts, Hawkman Found by Jeff Lemire, Brian Hitch, and Kevin Nolan, the upcoming year for DC and the year that just passed for Marvel, the grand designs of Chris Claremont, the recounting of a very fevered dream about the short-lived 70s TV show Gemini Man, and much, much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy and thank you for listening. Happy New Year. Happy 2018. I should have been like, happy 20. I mean, I could have reused it whenever. <laughs> Whatever year, right? Yeah, except the thing happy is, is <laughs> yeah, I'm so lazy, I never would have put it in the actual year. I would have left it just a, <laughs> which would be great. Well, exactly. I mean, it could have been like, that That was a really bad connection. <laughs> or, or we could have gotten a little robot voice. So it was like, happy 2018. You know, so. <laughs> that's how we sound after doing this podcast for an hour, so that's fine. Boy, that's that's sad but true. Graham McMillan, how are you? We haven't really spoken since the old holidays, although we swapped some emails. So I'm. <laughs> this is the first time you and I have spoken, and I'm incredibly happy to hear that you sound healthy. <clears throat> yeah, for the most part, I am not. Have to do the, uh, after I said that. Well, yeah, I know. Sorry, it's uh, it's a, it's a tick. Uh, it, it's. I I do feel better, which is great. I'm not a hundred percent. Have to say, not a hundred percent. But considering, like today, maybe yesterday, but today I feel was like the first day where I I didn't just get so goddamn exhausted thinking about what I had to do next. You know, like the rest of the week, I would just have these days where it's like, okay, I'd finish up a chore or an errand or something at work and it was the trying to conceive of what to do next was and it, it, it i would just feel this like blanket of exhaustion just descend on me so yeah so here's here's what i want to know mm-hmm. what is happening in the bay area because as you know we had visitors from the bay area That's right. over over christmas and new year and one of them was just sick the entire time yeah so what what are you like is there some sort of outbreak? My understanding is there is there's a two-prong outbreak. There is the cold that people like me are running around with that I'm pray to god is actually the cold. Uh uh which tends to come on pretty quick, wipe you out, sore throat, um you know, maybe a certain amount of fever or flu or whatever, but just generally making you feel crap. And then there is apparently an outbreak of the flu here that is very strong and very bad. And I was actually talking with Edie tonight at dinner because she'd read the stories. Like 17 people in the Bay Area have died because of it, I think. Holy shit! Like we're running out of like Tamiflu or whatever the flu treatment really? stuff is. So yeah. like, so this is bad. I, yeah, it is bad. It is bad. So we've got people who are at work who are just like, who've been out for like a week and then come back and then are completely wiped out and leave again, which is bad because I think, I think the second, and I think that's sort of the problem of, with things too is 
you know, people, the nature of work being what it is, you can miss a certain amount of sick time, you know, but a lot of places like my employment has, has a personal time off program where your vacation time and your sick time are combined. And, uh, that, there's a lot of, um, things that make that sort of an iffy manager, managerial choice. And where it really hurts people is, is that idea of like, at a certain point, people have the time, but they're also aware that it will cut into the amount of vacation that they can take later in the year or time that they'll have available. So they will come back to work. And, and to be fair, like I said, this seemed Thing seems to have a couple of different separate stages, or else maybe because so, so of it can being two things. Yeah, people can legitimately think they're better, and then they're like, "No, I'm, I'm not." Yes, exactly. And it's quite possible that when they do that, they're then either, either they're not as well as they think, and then they get knocked out by the, the either the flu or the cold that's circulating, or they turn around and end up passing it along more. So, it's. It's nasty down here, and it is interesting because I haven't heard as much about it hitting everywhere else, you know, at least as yet. You know, some of the people I talked to in our New but York that, office. That's just it. Like, like yeah, I, I've talked to people this week who were, who were like, you know, I was a bit under the weather. But it really does seem to be people, people from the Bay Area are having, like, the lurky. Yeah, yeah, uh, that that is that sounds right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I was going to mute myself for that, and, of course, I held up my... St- stupid thing upside down so um here hold on let me wait yeah no are are you back yeah i'm back (laughs) okay you were like hold on just let me and then it just went quiet and i was like oh shit oh no he died we're we're, we're, yeah we're starting off the new year with jeff dying while we record a podcast (laughs) who's going to edit this i said to myself To be fair, Graham, if that happened during the Baxter building, I would think exactly the same thing. I'd be like, oh, <laughs> no. Oh, God, do I have to edit this? Oh, no. <laughs> Second thoughts. Who am I going to get to do the rest of the Fantastic Fours with? Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. I'd be, that would be my main concern. would be like, how do I replace this? Yeah, I, that's really funny. I, I think I'd just get Edie. That would be, I mean, that oh my would be common I'm gold. Ready, I'm ready to step aside for Edie to <laughs> The rest of the Baxter buildings with you, dude. Right now, you can you cannot bring Edie in. Like it, it might be okay for Simonson, but once we clear into DeFalco, <laughs> like, that's like not yeah, cool. As soon as you just like slide into DeFalco run, Edie, and I think let's be honest, almost everyone else with any taste would be like, no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I rebel. Can't we just watch the movies or something like anything? You know, can't yeah. we just watch that great Josh Trank movie? <laughs> Which she did see in the theater with me, so she will be able to talk about that a little bit. You are a terrible, terrible, terrible person. You know, honestly, she liked, um, we both like, uh, the dude playing Michael, uh, Johnny Storm. Uh, Michael Jordan. Yeah. yeah. So she was, she was talk, like, I'm down for it. Yeah. Plus, I, we just, I, Miles Teller and Whiplash. She was like, you know what? At that point, she was on board with most of the cast, so. Yeah, she's like, how bad can this be? And then she found out. Yeah, exactly. Now she's just like, yeah, f- fuck you people in your superhero movies, so. Yeah. Which is an entire. But you're like st- Jodie Foster. <laughs> did she say that? I, yeah, yeah Jodie Foster did some, I, like, one of those comments that I think was overblown because, like, the internet loves to, you know, make things into, like, fights. Yeah. But she said something along the lines of, like, you know, I, I wish we could have 
other movies. Well, sure. I mean, you know, everyone which is like does. Yeah, I, that's sensible. Um, you know. But my favorite thing is like, I found this out because I think it happened over New Year. It happened at some point when I was not in front of the computer anyway. Because I found out like when I got back and people were like, look what James Gunn said in response to Jodie Foster. Oof. And I was just like, oh, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, no kidding. Also, uh, I'm sorry. No one should really give half a shit about what James Gunn says. Oh, that's right. You've seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2 since we last spoke. Because you were tweeting about how much you hated it. Well, see, that's it. I actually watched the first 40 minutes with Edie, and 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 it was so bad. We were just like, "This is this is terrible." And so, yeah, I, I, I tweeted shit about it. And then, I don't know, it was like that weekend or something, she was busy. Oh, oh I was God. Sick. You totally watched the end. I did. You? I did. Totally I had like, to go back hey, and watch it. Hey, how bad can it be? And then you found out. No, 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 no. At that point, I was like, this, I know this isn't going to get any better, but I really kind of had to have a little bit of the, um, I just had to have closure. I was just like, Did, did you stick so. around through the David Hasselhoff theme song at the end? Uh, maybe. I don't, I, let's put it this way. I, I watched the credits on mute. So, oh, well, I then, then you did actually miss the David Hasselhoff song theme song. Oh, okay. Okay. Which is weird because I don't remember if I unmuted it for all the, cause there were like, it seemed like 16. There, there's, there's, a, there's five, uh, quote unquote post credit sequences. Right. Exactly. And I must have, I must have unmuted for at least, for at least the Stanley and the Watchers one, but I don't, I don't know about the other ones. I can't, I can't even remember, but holy God. So yeah, James Gunn should just shut his fucking mouth. And I mean, that's, that really, unless he's, unless he's talking about, I don't know, you know, unless he wants to get into a screaming fight with, I was going to say Gary Marshall, who's like dead, but like someone who is, you know, not Jim Starlin. Yeah, Jim Starlin. No, man. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back it down. Back it down. I, I what? know, I know you don't like Jim Starlin and I, and we oh, no, all that know wasn't you're even wrong. Meant. It's a dig on Jim Starlin. Uh, why did he get, did, did, did Gunn and, and Starlin have beef? I can't imagine. No, that. no, Starlin and Starlin's falling out with Marvel again. Well, with Marvel, but he also. What is that with Marvel publishing? Exactly. And he, he explicitly said that the yeah. movie site were treating him great. Yeah. 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 Despite the fact that they didn't pay him like, you know, it is crazy that he got paid more for, um, for Lucius Fox, uh, Lucius Fox. And no, is it Lucius? Fox? No, it's not Lucius Fox. It's the Who gangster. It? It's the KG beast. They just used the name of the character for the KG beast in, in like Batman V Superman or something like that. Or, or and, um, and he made more money off of that film <clears throat> than all the Marvel films combined, which is nuts. Yeah. I mean, that really is. The fact that they gave him more for that than he got for Gamora, Drax, and Thanos from Marvel is just like, yeah. So the fact that he's actually still okay with them as compared to Marvel editorial. Well, the thing that's amazing is with Marvel publishing, I I think I told you one of the things that's amazing is when you – I had a friend lend me his, um, you know, IDW book, I, Starlin, or, you know – Starlin Me Am by Jim Starlin and it's like him talking about his career and one of the things that he says is is that you know basically when he walked out when he walked off Thanos the last time he was like I'll never work with Marvel again and especially Tom Brevoort I will never work with Tom Brevoort and then this years. time again he just he outright 
named Brevor as the reason he's leaving yeah, Marvel. Absolutely. In the weirdest way, though. Like, were you following that story at all? No, just just the just the end statement, not so much the development of it. So, so the he basically accused Brevor of stealing his plot and giving it to the people doing the monthly book, Ooh, which. Yes. For all the complaints people have about Brevor, I've never heard before. Well, he, he Starlin, the the what I the passive aggressive version that I heard, which was super passive aggressive. Um, uh, to me, I read more as a thing of like he was so not paying any attention that he okayed a story that was really similar to one that he'd okayed previously and then told us we were going to have to stop ours. Or maybe Starlin well, was like, I'm where, not going to do it where it, comes, it. where it comes weird is Starlin says outright that Brevoort kept changing his story about why it had happened. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and essentially goes from like, maybe it was a mistake to no, he did this on purpose. Yeah. Yep. And like that's like that's the part where it's just like, honestly, I don't believe that. Like, I completely, I completely believe Brevor was just not paying attention to anything. Mm-hmm. Especially because I'm fairly sure Brevor isn't even editing the Thanos book. Well, and I think I, I do think that there, there's a little bit. I, I don't know. I feel like we may end up going to the videotape shortly here because I feel like what Starlin said was something along the lines of like this the. the the story that he was told two or three different times changed. And what I thought yeah. to me that the, the main point was Brevoort was saying everything except kind of he fucked up. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And sorry. Yeah. And that, I think that's the part where Starlin was like, you know what? Fuck this. So. Yeah. I, I just, I just looked. Um, first of all, you're right. But secondly, Brevoort is not editing the Thanos book at all. Wow, yeah. So, which is amazing. <laughs> you know, that's where that's kind of amazing. It's like, I wonder if Brevoort is actually editing the Thanos graphic novels. Right. I don't. Mm, I should know. Uh, hold on. Let's see, dude. Let's see if I let's see if I ha- actually have them on my my Comicsology downloaded, or if I've got to actually have to go through some bullshit Thanos. Um, uh, which one? Uh, yeah, the Thanos, yeah, the it. Infinity Revelation. Can I get the info? Book details. Just, it just says creators Jim Starlin. That does not help me much, guys. The Infinity Relativity was, was one, right? Yeah, yeah. that's 2015. Let's see who edited that. Brevor. Oh, okay. So there you go. Yep. Yeah, Brevor, Will Moss, it's got four editors. Brevor, Will Moss, John Moisen, and uh, Jake Thomas. Okay. Well, there we go. Infinity Finale was was the next year. Mm-hmm. Brevor, Will Smith, and Alana Smith. Yeah, yeah. Brevor, Brevor, Smith all the way through. Uh, yeah. But yes. why, if Starlin quit before and said, I'm not going to work with Brevor again? Uh, I think the EC was like, I'm not going to work with Brevor again. And then apparently either they brokered a piece or, you know, they were like, Starlin did a, I'm not working on this stuff until, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or maybe they were just like, okay, look, we'll let you come back and do Thanos to make it look like good PR, but we're going to make it, you know, we're going to put you up with Brevoort again, and then that way, if you refuse, we can say that you just refuse to work with us. <clears throat> Who knows? Who knows? I mean... It, it, it is a, a very, very weird one. I, although, and you've read the graphic novels. Um, I read the first a lot one. Of it... I read the oh, I thought, you, I thought you'd read them all. No, 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 no. I, I purchased the other ones, and I still haven't read them yet. But doesn't it seem like... Uh, like a payoff. Well, okay, so gra- 
here's where you and I definitely split hairs oh. because I I know that on the one hand I think that's probably how Marvel intended it. On the other hand, I think that that first graphic novel actually had Starlin had something to say. Like he Oh yeah, yeah, sorry. I I didn't mean like I didn't mean in terms of Starlin's intent. Yeah. I meant in terms of it feels very much not only in terms of format but in terms of the story itself that Marvel is trying to keep Jim Starlin happy by giving him work but yes. also keep him away from the regular Marvel universe. Yeah, which I think uh which I think works for both for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think I never saw Starlin necessarily complaining about that. I think he was more than happy to kind he, of no, play well, in, in his yeah. in his exit statement, he said that he has tried a couple of times to get the monthly Thanos book. Oh, well, yes, exactly. But I think he would have been fine if the monthly Thanos book had been out of continuity, which admittedly is splitting hairs. But yes, no, I I agree that because it makes sense. I'm sure he's like, I created the fucking character, like. If you're giving me work, let me write the regular book. And they're like, right? no, 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 it's not, not somewhere. So Claremont is like, hey, Jim, let's talk. Yeah, really, seriously. I'm getting paid to write nothing. Yeah, right, right, exactly, exactly. Wow, I'm so glad you mentioned Claremont because he's going to end up being such a cornerstone of of my comic discussion today, provided oh, really? we do talk about comics. Tell all. Well, just um, have you been reading a bunch of Claremont over the holidays? N- you know, the weird part is sort of kind of really recently, but um the main thing that was kind of a big revelation to me was reading parts one and two of Ed Piscor's uh, X-Men Grand Design, right? Which, yeah. have you read that? I, I have not read, but also I didn't think that got to the Claremont stuff yet. Uh So here's the thing that's amazing is... Technically, on the one hand, from continuity, from oh. from the linear continuity, you're right. But what? But it includes the the retcon stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, there's so much of it that is so heavily retconned. I was getting through the first issue, and I really had this thing of like, man, Pisker's really hammer jamming this idea of everything's all about the phoenix like this big struggle that's happening behind the scenes for it even even some of the stuff because it you know starts with world war ii and it's got some scenes of like you know magneto killing nazi soldiers when captain america and wolverine are nearby and like a variety of stuff where i was like man this shit is really i was i was kind of like I thought he was going to take a much more straightforward approach to it. And then when I got to the end of the first issue, there's end notes. And of course, like every fucking thing is all from Claremont's back, you know, back matter in what is it? X-Men. Is it? Oh, classic classic? X-Men. Yeah. Classic X-Men. All, all of his classic X-Men stuff, because it's all stuff that happened before this stuff. Piscor's threaded through it. And so What's amazing is when you read the first two issues of X-Men Grand Design, it is so, um, and again, because I barely read any of those Claremont backups, just a few, you know, but it, it's interesting to like read those X-Men, the X-Men Grand Design and be like, if people read this who haven't read the original stories and are like, oh wow, this is, because it seems like a huge sweeping mega epic. The the amount of retcons that Claremont does 
and that Piscor adopts, and who knows, maybe Piscor threw other stuff in there, but it all, it, it kind of it feels, feels very much of, of a piece. It feels like a story as opposed to like 25 years of continuity is what you're saying. Right. Which, it, which admittedly Piscor was like, and that's my whole point. That's, you know, that's why he was going to do it. So I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but in that sense, it is really Claremont's, uh, meaty hands are all over it in a way that is both um good but also uh wearying and also deceptive to me because like i said someone picking this up and reading this would be like holy shit it's kind of like if you read akira like being summarized in a in two issues of a comic and you're like oh i'm gonna go get those individual issues except what you're really getting is like you know, Stan Lee, like, typing his way through his three martini lunch, and Roy Thomas being like, eh, I can pretend like I've had three martinis, you know, and just kind of making their way through a bunch of material, and people are like, well, wait a minute, where's the scene where, like, Mastermind secretly connects with Jean Grey's mind and realizes she has fantasies of being a naughty, ribald noblewoman, you know? It's like, that punch is never going to land until you get to, you know, whatever Claremont and John Bolton, you know, uh, hooked up on like three martinis and a couple of poppers for X-Men classics. <laughs> so it's, <clears throat> so that was interesting. But then on top of which, uh, as, as, as I'm sure our listeners being relatively savvy types are aware, both DC and Marvel were more or less giving away the store digitally for a good two weeks uh, during Christmas. Marvel really was. DC did its $5 for all the trades we've published in the last, like, five years sale. I don't know. But Some of those, yes. Marvel, but, yeah. Marvel was like, some of our books are like a dollar. Yeah, some of our books are a dollar, and there are books that are literally coming that are new, but because they're, the sale's still going on, like, I haven't read it yet, but that, that Don McGregor's, uh, Panther Quest trade that came out, right? It came <laughs> out. Just come out, like, between Christmas and New Year? It did! And so it came out, and it was priced at, like, nine bucks. I mean, it wasn't like four dollars and twenty cents. But yeah, considering but still. that's, I know that's like half cover price, you know, at least. So it was like, that's... yeah. So I could not believe. It. So yeah, for four bucks, I picked up uh, Marvel Horror, the magazine collection, because I was like, you know, weak. <laughs> but because you're, you're you, I mean, if any, right. if ever a book is is intended for you. More or less, although in classic true, like I had been, I really had been developing something like willpower. I barely bought anything in this Marvel sale. As you know, I picked up the West Coast Avengers Sins of the Past, which I'm sure I'll be talking about. And then I was kind of like, that's it. I don't even need to comb the, the closest I did to really combing was, like I said, looking at their new releases, you know, and then, and seeing if there was anything that I could pick up. But. Yeah. The Marvel horror thing that had been out for a while, somebody, I think Matt Maxwell tweeted that he picked it up and I was like, Oh, four bucks. God, help me. So I picked it up <laughs> and, and God damn, I like read like the first, I don't know, 78 or 80 pages of 240. And most of it so far is Claremont, which is unsurprising because it's back during 
uh, I'm sure most listeners are aware, but back in the early 70s when Marvel was expanding and expanding and expanding, one of the things, uh, areas that they expanded in was in their black and white magazine line. And so a lot of people who later um, sort of moved in front and center in the mid-70s in the color books got their start editing and writing on the black and white stuff for, for a mere pittance. So you have... Chris Claremont doing a Blade story, like a two-part Blade story, so it's like 40 fucking pages, illustrated by Gene Colan in black and white. And it's Chris Claremont from like, I don't know, like 74 or something like that? Maybe earlier? And it is the Chris Claremontiest thing. And then he goes and does Satana, which I, I'm just amazed at how much Chris Claremont is kind of a... Like, it does not matter what you throw at him, his filter is going to Chris Claremontize it. You know what I mean? Like, they're well, like. Especially at that point, I feel. Really? I sort of feel like it's, it's all those points. What shocks me is how much, how strong it is this early on. You know? I, I feel that he, he, uh, I was going to say diversified, which is not the best descriptor of Chris Claremont at any period <laughs> of his fucking career. Right. But I feel that he got better differentiating, uh, like Marvel Team Up and X Men. Do you know what I mean? Like that Marvel Team Up read like a Spider Man book for a while. Uh, yeah, no, it did absolutely. You know, as right, opposed right. to like mm-hmm. in in his early days, and also in his later days, like his Fantastic Four and in, in the early 2000s or late 1999 or whenever it was like reads like generic like reads like his exiles comic mm-hmm. from around the same period like they they read exactly the same well you know i it, feel like for a while he was able to be like spider-man should sound like this well yes sound like this well i mean believe me when he, he's okay so he's doing a blade story and i have to admit one of the things that's kind of a, a big gap in my knowledge because it's I've come at it twice uh, I still haven't read um, Tomb of Dracula like every time I sit down That's I'm really genuinely surprised I've I know I because I read some of the issues when they're coming out during the 70s but it's never really my book even though I heard good things about it I was just I for whatever reason did not I had a, I had I, like the Doctor Strange crossover issues and stuff it's Roy Thomas Roy Thomas is the reason it's Gardner Fox Gardner Fox is the reason um, but, Wait, didn't right? Isn't isn't the famous Tomb of Dracula run Roy Thomas and Gene Cole? No, no, no. Marv Wolfman, Marv Wolfman and Gene Cole. Oh, Marv Wolfman. Yes, that's so, that's totally yes, right. right. And Wolfman, I'd be into it. But the weird part is, is like so. You know, that was one of the things that I tackled with Marvel uh, Unlimited Year One, and but I was like, okay, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get through like the 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 first you know because because Wolfman comes in at like nine or ten. And I swear okay. to God, I made it as far as issue seven or eight. Like Jerry Conway was <laughs> you were so close. You could yes. smell it. I could smell it, but I couldn't take one more issue of Gardner Fox being like, what am I doing on this title again? Okay. Like real question here. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you skip the Gardner Fox issues? I don't know. I was being weirdly obsessive in a way that I'm normally not with comics. I was like, I'm going to read through and I'm going to get to it in part because I really did want to be able to say like, A, I'd read the whole thing and B, I was also aware that there were con, I, because unlike other stuff where I have a general sense of who, where, 
who and what appeared when. With Tomb of Dracula, A, not only was I not entirely sure when Wolfman started, like, I was like, okay, well, surely it's going to be any issue now. So that's that was part of the problem, is me being an idiot. But also, I kind of kept expecting, like, um, like you know, when they bring Van Helsing in, uh, and of course there's like three, the, the Van Helsing family shows up early in Tomb of Dracula, but the, the older dude in the wheelchair with the glasses, it's like, he shows up relatively early on. And so I'm like, okay, I want to have a sense of who the supporting cast is because part of the thing about Tomb of Dracula is it's a supporting cast book, right? So I was yeah, like, there's I, only so much you can do with Dracula. So it's really right, about everyone else. Exactly. So, so, and that's actually where Wolfman, of course, really ended up shining because of all the other characters that he brought in, such as Blade. So Blade, who is a character that I'm definitely familiar with, I'm not actually that familiar with. So reading Chris Claremont do a Blade story and me trying to figure out what part of this is official Blade canon before Chris Claremont writes it and which part of it is Chris Claremont being Chris Claremont because, okay, so just to... Like you, I'm gonna I'm gonna recount the story, Graham, and you figure out which elements Chris Claremont brought in and which elements had to be there because of of Blade's appearance in Tomb of Dracula. Okay. Okay. Blade, it, the story opens with Blade killing a bunch of vampires, right? Okay, I mean that's Blade, right? Sure. On, that's like that's that's what he does on the streets of London. Oh, Claremont. Okay, then Blade, after killing them, goes back to the jazz lounge, the Slow Boy, <laughs> where oh Blade God. picks up extra money by blowing a mean horn. What? Then. Like, we- Psychic police detective Josie Barnett. Yes. Yeah, no, no. I made up none of that. I think Chris Claremont made up all of that. That's what I'm saying. Oh, no, that's, no, that's, um, like, all of that has the Claremont. Exactly. Exactly. Wait, but first, I know it's early Claremont, but I have to ask, is there an overly written description of Blade playing the, the, the trumpet? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Let me see. So here he is. He's fighting these guys, kills those dudes. Uh, oh, oh, right. So, uh, right. He has a big fight with Chief Inspector Thomas, who says things like, you get Wait, the hell die, out of my... Thomas? What's that? Die Thomas? Uh, let me see. Die, what is his name? It's AI? Yes, Die Thomas. Yeah. From fucking Captain Britain. Okay, there we go. See? Die Thomas. Chief Inspector Die Thomas shows up. You know, because the thing oh is... God, is got a Captain crossover. That's blowing my mind. Well, because it's the Claremont verse, right? So oh, No, he... but wait. When was this published? Uh, hold on. Uh, it is... It's got to be after 76. It's... Right? No, I don't... It's Marvel Preview number three. And uh, god damn them for it? not having years on this. Because I thought no, that they me, would. Let me look it up. Marvel Preview... 75. That means Die Thomas... Pre, like, appeared before Captain Britain. That's right. Yeah. Because Captain much. Britain launched in 76. Yeah. Be- be- because Chris Claremont will introduce a character and then always fucking bring them up as much as possible. It's true. We're, we're just lucky that there was no NPR reporters on vacation in London. 
uh, the jazz club. Let's be honest. Okay. So let me keep talking because let me okay. tell you, I don't want to spoil I, things. I have to say, you're making me want to read this story. So Die Thomas comes in and yells with, uh, you know, call, okay, calls Blade Boyo, then says, cut the comedy act, Blade. I'm in no mood for it tonight. They have a big fight, uh, in which Blade not only calls him baby and chiefy, um, oh, God. oh no. Yep. And <laughs> while they're arguing out in the hallway, there's a bunch of people listening to them fight. And one of the policemen says, here we go. Another edition of the Friday Night Follies core. It's like listening to flipping Monty Python. Okay. Let's hold for a second and just remind everyone that one of the reasons Chris Claremont, a year after publishing the story, would get the job of creating Captain Britain was because he always used to say, well, I was raised in Britain, so I know what British people are like. Yeah. A fact utterly disproven by that dialogue. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's, let's get back, however, to the story as you're telling it because I am into it. Yeah, I bet you are. I bet you are. Uh, a day comes and goes and nightfall brings a fog to London. A pea super such as hasn't been seen for years. Fog <laughs> and something else. The Legion of the Damned. So, of course. <laughs> Oh, the number of times, Jeff, before I came to America, I would go to London and I'd be like, it's a real pea super. Yeah. With fog, a legion of the damned. And people would be like, wait, what? And I'd be like, that's what pea super is. That's what it is, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. it's traditionally fog and zombies or vampires. Yep. Just, yep. just what it is. Yep. Okay. Keep, keep going. Well, anyway, so because Blade's to- woman, Saffron, is being, is being, uh, stalked, by the Legion of the Damned, including, uh, well, I'll get to the, I'll get to the woman's name later, but basically, Saffron gets kidnapped. Is um, it better than Saffron? What's that? It's her name, the woman's name who you're not telling me, is it better than Saffron? It is, I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so next page. Slow boys, you won't find it listed on any tourist guide to London. The neighborhood's still a bit scruffy for that, but it's there all the same. Small, crowded, deadly thick with smoke and mysterious as hell, a jazz club, one of the oldest in London, and one of the best. Blades, home away from home. He grew up here, you see, and it is Y apostrophe C, half his life spent listening to jazz and jazz men, so whenever he's in town, he drops by and plays some set on the horn. After a while, word gets round, you want Blade... Best you try slow boys, mate. So. <laughs> okay. Again, I'm loving everything. I know, you're this. into what it. I'm, yeah. What I'm really loving is the idea that if you want to find Blade, you have to go to a shitty jazz club in London. Yeah. Why did the, why did the movies drop this? Like, I know. can you not, Wesley Snipes in, like, in the shitty Dick Van Dyke London. <laughs> Like, like spending, you know, half the movie. Yeah. Miming to someone else playing trumpet. Yeah, I am into this. I know. I know. I'm kind of shocked. So the woman, the woman whose name I did not tell you, she shows up to basically tell Blade, like, Hey, you better, you better back off. Um, is Lady Marguerite Delescio. So 
D apostrophe Chris Claremont is most definitely writing this comic. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, at what points do you figure out is or isn't, you know, uh, Claremont? Like, like, well, it's, no, it's like, just, it's like all, all so. yeah, yeah, like all truly great Claremont comics. It's a Claremont comic that just happens to feature a character not created by Claremont. Yeah, right. Well, exactly. So, so in part two of the tale, Blade is more or less, um, uh, it, it looks like he has actually accidentally killed a 12 year old girl by throwing his, his wooden knife into a fog after a vampire. And so, uh, so, and of course she's dead. He's like, Oh no, dear God in heaven, what have I done? And of course the next panel is him. Like, which is great. As she falls, Blade's mind snaps back an hour, only an hour, to a time when life was simpler, saner. He'd been playing a set at Slow Boys, relaxing after a hard (laughs) night's hunt. And this titled Uh... fox had shown up to tell him that the Legion had grabbed Saffron, that it was his life or hers, take it or leave it. He'd taken it, of course. Yeah. Oh, God, it's going on. It's continuing. Oh, of course. (laughs) Anyway, of course, it keeps going on and on. Die Thomas pops up and tells him, like, you lost it this time, boyo. You got to give yourself up. But then, oh, God, where's the psychic policewoman who ends up teaming up with him? Shit. I can't believe it. She's in. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Kate Frazier. Kate Frazier. Oh, who is also in Captain Britain. No, is she? Of course she is. Yes. Yep. Wait, have you have you never read the original Captain Britain run? No, no, no. I haven't read anything about oh, the Marvel team up oh issues. Oh God! Yeah. Um. There's there was a couple of collections. Yes. Really recently. Really? Too. And I think yeah, and I think like, a lot. Some of it's up on Marvel Unlimited now, right? Um. It's only the 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 uh, the Alan Moore and later stuff that's up on. Oh, I thought they had the early stuff up too because no, I love that original but, costume. But seriously, when if or when that stuff comes up, or if you can find the collections. Well, hold that on. Is, 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 is the Marvel sale jumper. still going? Hold on. <laughs> I'm fairly sure it's not anymore, Jeff. I hate I, to tell I, you. I think it did. I think it ended like two days ago, right? It's like yeah, I, I want to say they finished. Um, I finished yesterday's oh. recording. Bosey, come to Britain. Oh, I don't know. Kindle looks like it's six fifty. Dom, dom, dom. Now moving yeah, it's to six, Amazon. Six fifty. Okay. Uh, oh shit! It's what? the weirdest collection. It's the weirdest fucking collection. Captain Britain, the legacy, legacy of the of legend. legends. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's not everything. It's literally goes from the first two issues of the British comic to the Marvel team up. Uh, okay, and then it goes to Incredible Hulk Weekly, Marvel superheroes. Yeah. So, but I yeah. mean, it's it's two hundred and eight pages. Yeah, but that's that's not the good stuff. Because what I what I was going to say is, there's a collection of all the Captain Britain stuff. Oh right, like a huge big one, wasn't it? Wait. Yeah, and it's amazing because it starts off as Claremont and Herb Trimpey, mm-hmm. who again like had been on vacation in England and therefore could bring a verisimilitude that no one else could. Right. Definitely not anyone who lived in Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're both off the book relatively quickly, and then it just gets passed around to various fucking creators. Right. And at one point, it's uh, Larry Lieber. And John Buscema inked by Pablos Marcos. Wow. And it's a black and white strip at that point. Mm-hmm. Told in like five page chapters. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is genuinely difficult to read. 
because no one knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one can read the story of that page length. And it's like, and, it, it's, and the plots get increasingly like, how do we make this British? And so it's stuff like, you know, I've got to kill the Queen because she's a robot. <laughs> It's a story that's still beloved today, I have to say. So, <laughs> anyway, let's get back to Blade and Slow Boys. I also love Slow Boys. Slow like Boys. She, slow he, boy. he mentions it like six times, and I'm wrong. It's like <laughs> three parts. It's like a three part story. So this thing goes oh, on. Anyway, Kate, boy. Kate shows up, and of course, dies. Like, I got a rough one for you, Kate. A murder. It looks cut and dried, but I'm not sure. The pieces don't all fit, or fit too well. On the surface, Blade's our man. We've got his knife, plus enough circumstantial evidence to hang him. And yet, something bothers me. There are no prints on the knife, you know, only bits of decayed flesh. So I want you to go inside the girl's <laughs> mind, Kate, and find out the truth. And, of course, in true Claremont is the girl style. dead? What's that? You, uh, this is the 12-year-old who's died. Yeah, who she dies. That's the thing. So Blade is like, got a murder rap on him. No, 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 but so how can, how can Kate Stewart go inside his mind, her mind? She doesn't like the idea. But she does it just the same. She's a psychic, <laughs> is Kate Frazier, a psychometric reader. Someone with the paranormal ability to feel in objects, a person's past, from creation to destruction, to feel what the person felt, see what the person saw, to live her life, and die her death. Oh my god. And be reborn again as Catherine Frazier, Detective Inspector CID, Metropolitan Police. It's a lousy way to earn a quid, but it's what Kate does best. Oh, the quid made it. Yeah, yeah. The quid made it. Yeah, that's where people were like, well, we're paying for verisimilitude, so... This... We're, we're, we're pay- we've got the good stuff. We've got the good stuff. It's a lousy way to make a quid. <laughs> Marvel <laughs> has found their Graham Greene. So, yeah, it's... uh, It's it's so Claremont-y. Oh, my God. And it just goes... It's... Are you telling me this entire collection is like this? Well, no, this, this is the thing that's kind of crazy is, is like, so this, this Blade story, which goes on and on and on, and it's great. Like the last part of the story is called Hellmorn, which because of the way the, I'll, I'll send you the screen image or I'll put it on the thing because of the way it's lettered, it actually looks like Hellmoron, which is the best. <laughs> Maybe that was an in-joke in the office. It probably was. It was like, ah, Chris Claremont, the hell moron. But, like, so he does, like, all of... God, how long does this fucking thing go? All right, this this is... It's a 60-page story. It's followed by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan, who literally do a five-page story, and then it goes into Chris Claremont doing, like, a 40-page Satana story. So... Shit. Yeah, dude, you kind of gotta. And the Satana story, because again, I'm like, Satana always knew a little bit about her, kind of a little creeped out by her, kind of intrigued by the idea. Watching Chris Claremont take what I believe is the first appearance of Satana, more or less, minus some of her cameos in the Son of Satan comic, and once again managed to craft a fucking Chris Claremont story out of it is insane insane because of course I, I 
Love it. Yeah. Lo- I mean, I'm so, I just checked on Amazon as $10 and I'm like, no, I'm not $10 into it. I'm not it, $10 loving it, it. Yeah. If it had been $4 into it, yeah. yes. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's a great thing about Marvel. You just gotta wait somewhere between like three well, months and wait, 72 yeah, hours. Wait the yeah. Exactly. Wait then the quarter and then all of a sudden they'll be like, oh, we've got to make that profit again. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And why not? That's what gets them to, the praise on Bleeding Cool. <laughs> did you did you see Bleeding Cool this week had a, a Jude Terror did a like five thing five ways that Marvel is fucked up in this year, uh, and then Rich did five ways that DC is fucked up, mm. and one of them was uh, Doomsday Clock's very existence, and one of them was uh, that Marvel beat them in sales and dollars. <laughs> And it's like, wait, is that DC fucking up? Right. <laughs> or, uh, uh, but yeah. You know what? But it's still, at least they've got Jude Terror saying some of that shit. And I will give them this. There's been a lot of the comic store closing news. A lot of people have been talking about how Marvel has tanked for them. And Holy shit. You did that Challengers tweet. Where yeah. they were $21,000 down on Marvel alone this year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's Jesus like Christ. painful. So yeah, it, it's crazy. It's really, I have, really crazy. I haven't, I've seen a bunch of stores do like, here's our 2017. I've not seen one store say that the Marvel was up. No. Not one. No. I've seen a bunch say DC was up, but like, you know, by, you know, 1% through 10%. Right. But I've not seen one store say Marvel was up. Yeah. Which, should probably be worrying to Marvel. Yeah, well, I mean, as I think you and I might have talked about, there's the the thing that's actually a little uh, worrisome as well as the number of people who've talked about the fact that Image is down as well, too, which is... I want to say Image has been down for a couple of years now. Yeah, but like, I feel except, like it's In terms of market share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. market share, I think... Well, but here's the thing. Yeah. Like, last year's, last year's market in general... Mm-hmm. was significantly smaller. Yes. Like I do every year for Hollywood Worker, I do like the top 10 books of the year in terms of orders. Mm-hmm. And the thing that jumped out at me is like in 2015, you know, you had Star Wars and Star Wars sold like a million copies. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you look at like the fifth highest ordered book and it's still like 300,000 copies. Mm-hmm. And this year, like the number three book was under, was just over 100,000. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. You're like, yeah, the market just has collapsed in two years. Yeah, that that that's kind of how it seems. So, uh, so yeah. Did you, yeah. I, I while we're talking about uh, market stuff for a second, did you see that Marvel is now offering the Legacy Lenticular covers? Yes. Again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I cannot get my head around that. Yeah. Like I, I am, I'm genuinely stunned. For people who don't know what I'm talking about. Um, the lenticular covers were uh, a highly incentivized part of the Marvel Legacy launch. Yeah. Where you had to order like ludicrous levels. Mm-hmm. It was like 150% of what you normally order for a comic in order to qualify to order. I think it was like just five or 10. Yeah. Like it was, it, they were highly incentivized. Yep. Um, and you had a lot of retailers at the time say, we're not going to do this. Like mm-hmm. we're just not. These, these, this is ludicrous. We can't do this. We will bankrupt ourselves. Yep. Then hilariously, the lenticular covers came out and they didn't work. Yep. 
so there was a lot of feedback in this, a lot of pushback. And then this week, really quietly, Marvel told retailers, and someone actually forwarded me the retailer uh, note. Mm. Uh, you just have to have ordered. This is amazing. So it went from like, you have to order like 150 to 250% of what you normally order for the title to qualify. Mm-hmm. For this new reorder, you just have to have already ordered either first or second printing of the second issue of any legacy series. That's it. Yep. Yeah. And think of all the stores who really did fucking work mm-hmm. and and eat shit to get mm-hmm. these covers the first time around. Yep. And now that value's gone. The, well, that's it. The well, value the was gone covers. before. Yeah. It hit the it hit the racks, and then those people couldn't move them because the lenticular covers didn't lenticulate, and no but, one but wanted like, the fucking even, books. But even in terms of like scarcity. Yeah. You know, like we we live in a we live in a fucking bizarre industry where people are like, Spider Man was misprinted blue. Right, that's rare. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and now that's gone as well for these because mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like, hey, you're fucking. We've got to offload these fucking lenticular copies. Yep, yep, yep. I like, I I I mean, I can't believe, especially retailers are not yelling about this. Oh, I'm sure. Well, some some are of them are, using but your yeah. shit. Yeah. Like this is a, a, I don't want to say a lawsuit, but like it's it's Marvel really is shitting on the retailers mm-hmm. with this, mm-hmm. really, really clearly. Yeah, you know, and it's not as if Marvel wasn't already shitting on the retailers by outright lying to them before Legacy launched. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not going to be any events in the next eighteen months. We're definitely not going to relaunch any books, and we know both those things are lies already. That's right. You know. Yeah. But this this honestly just feels like they're thumbing their nose. They're like, we're so happy you bought two two hundred fifty percent of your regular order of fucking Gwenpool, right? And now we're just, now we're just gonna make first sure off sure Gwen, Gwenpool, whatever. Vulcan. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm literally looking down the list. That's why I picked Gwenpool. Oh, I see. Um, Captain America, Cable, yeah, Black Panther, like whatever book, Jeff. Yes. <laughs> Because let's face it, 150 copies of Gwenpool for most stores is like, okay, I ordered three copies. Give me my it's like 150% of your normal Gwenpool order. They're like, oh, look, we've got a second copy of Gwenpool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, poor Gwenpool. So, yeah, um, I got to tell you, it's, I mean, it's funny because, again, not really in touch with the flow. I saw that, and I, to me, it was kind of like... um I don't know. I mean, it just feels like Marvel selling the furniture. Like, it's really just a step away from that. Like, I mean, it, it's horrible, but there's kind of that weird, like, Marvel's more or less eating itself right before our very eyes. And that just seems like the next manifest stage of it. Honestly, I think so much of the stuff with the comic book people are kind of like, Stores that are, I mean, there's stores that are staring down the barrel of some hard choices where like sales have gone down and they, they, for everything and just, and, and people just are closing down. But I think for myself, there's an element of, I don't want to deal with these people. Like I wouldn't, I don't, if that's your, if that's your quote unquote partner in retail, like, you know. Yeah. No, Marvel is, is the abusive partner. Yeah. And we've made this, we've made this analogy before, mm-hmm. but at this point, it's, it's almost comedic. Yeah. Like Marvel is, is, is like visibly shitting on everyone. Yeah. 
Exactly. Well, but in that weird kind of, it can't help shitting itself. Like, I, again, I just feel like the whole, my, as you know, my analogy is also Marvel is an addict. Marvel is your crackhead addict that has gone from, like, lying to people and stealing money out of their wallets to more or less, like, showing up and trying to sell you back the stuff that they stole from you, you know? So, <laughs> just because they're that addled. And it's just like... I don't know why you would think this would necessarily work, except for other than the... I don't, I'm not sure how to complete the analogy. In theory, people were showing up for Marvel, but but they're but they're really not anymore. So I don't I don't right. know what that, that's yeah. going to be the fascinating thing. Yeah. Like, what does Marvel do when it pulls the shit and it doesn't work? Right. Well, I you mean, know? yeah. I, honestly, uh, it, it's going. To, this is this is going to be a bad year. Yeah, it's going to be it's a like, really I, bad year. It's going to be a really because I can't see anything. I can't see anything to turn around. No. You know, I, I genuinely can't. I think a lot of stores are going to end up having to gamble on the next Marvel relaunch because there's nothing else to gamble on. Well, I mean, apart from put put your money in the DC, you know, which honestly, the DC, some of the DC stuff. Oh man. I mean, we'll get to me talking about some of my DC books that in just a minute, but one of the things that did happen was reading that goddamn preview for Damage like five or six times over the last two weeks. That is not an excerpt that grows well with repeated rereads. <laughs> I, I honestly haven't even read it. Yeah, well, that's... I, I read the one for, I read the one for Sideways, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, which... I, I, we've said this in the past. I'm consistently stunned that in this day and age, in 2018, we're still getting people going, what if I write 1970s Spider-Man, but he's got different powers? Yeah. Yep. Like, that's breathtaking that people are still doing that. Well, I mean, if it makes you feel better, when you read Damage, you'll be like, holy shit, it's that or, like, an Image comic from 1993. So... But uh, weirdly enough, I can see them going, oh, that's the goal. Sure. Like, there's something about this whole new age of of DC Heroes thing which feels very image to me. I think so, too. And part there's parts of me where I'm like, yes, until you read the stuff itself. And then I'm like, no, guys, no, 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 no. Uh, but but it's uh, it's so like I said, it did this thing for Hollywood Reporter of like the best selling, the best, not even the best selling, the highest ordered books of last year. Mm-hmm. And really unusually, so like, I keep going back to two years ago, but two years ago, there was no DC book on the list. Mm. It was nine Marvel and a Walking Dead issue. Mm-hmm. Right? And this year it was seven DC. Yeah. And three Marvel. Or maybe eight DC. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the exception of Metal, mm-hmm. and I think it's just Metal issue one. No, it's Metal issue one and issue two. Everything else is Doomsday Clock related. Or the button. Oh, interesting. Cause what... And I was like, it genuinely surprises me that that's the biggest seller. Yeah. Well, it surprises me too, but it is. Actually, what's funny, I'm, I, you probably saw this, but Hibbs posted his, his, um. Oh, I did. Yeah. His, his comics experience and comics experience outposts yeah. roundup. Right. Which was fascinating. Yeah. Although I really skimmed, I read most of his analysis and then skimmed through the titles, which is where the real interesting tidbits are except if you look at comics experience outpost their list their top 20 books 
the majority of them are DC, which he points out, but it's shocking how many of them are Batman. And I mean, if you think of metal as essentially a Batman themed, um, crossover. It's a centric crossover. Yeah, yeah. It, it really just gets all but overwhelming. Like Doomsday Clock is like the only thing that's not Batman that's, that's in their top 30 or 40 sellers. So yeah. it's, which to me is kind of, again, I'm like, ugh, you know, I, as you know, I'm not a fan of Doomsday Clock. I definitely think the marketplace needs a hit. I guess that's what well, it's got to okay, be. So here's, but here's you know. thought experiment. Mm-hmm. He, he, here's thought experiment. Um, if, as rumored, Ben sticks over the Superman books, does that, what does that do? Is, is Ben doing Superman enough of a draw to be a hit? Uh, to me, honestly, no. I don't, I don't see it doing more than, I mean, a hit for Superman, sure, but. Sure, but a hit for Superman is like 60,000. Right. So I think, I think, I think they'll put Bendis on Superman and it'll start at maybe 80 and then drop to 60 and then we'll see where it goes from there. But I don't see it. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I'm I not think, sure. I well, think it, I think it might launch above a hundred, but I also don't think it'll stay above a hundred. No, I think it would drop quickly, and I would be kind of be shocked. I maybe if if it was more of a cash rich year, maybe people would would really go on that. But part of me is like, I mean, you had Jeff Johns on Action Comics, or was it Action? You know, just no, he, was, he was on Superman. He was on Superman relatively recently, and what was the dial being moved at there? You know what I mean? Like, that's, you could... that's actually a really good question. I'm going to look and see when that, uh, because that was not only, uh, it was him John's, and John Romita Jr. It was Ed, yeah. and John Romita Jr. Yeah. Right, right. So, I mean, uh, that's the thing. If you have Johns and John Romita Jr., admittedly, Bendis is going to be a thing of like, oh, he hasn't done a DC book before. Oh, he's you know, he's Cleveland or tack- tackling Cleveland's greatest superhero or wh- however you're going to angle that. There's still going to be that thing of like, I, I, you know, Johns and Romita Jr. only doing like seventy thousand copies or fifty-five thousand copies of of Superman. It's like, uh. Yeah, I'm actually looking at see where, where it fell in its, its launch month. You know, the. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's yeah. not good at all. Yeah. Uh, I'm like three months into it and it looks, wait, that's. So it looks like it came out in July. Mm-hmm. No, I skipped. I skipped a year by mistake, Jeff. Oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense because you really were like, oh. It looks like it's, yeah, it's only just above 60,000. See? So, so that's, that's kind of, that's my theory is, is it's gonna, like you but, said, it might launch over a hundred. Yeah, that's right. It would be yeah. good for a Superman book, but not really. I mean, that's that thing of like, I'm like, you would hope that Bendis would be able to 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 move that dial, you know. But I don't know, man. I don't know. I personally think that that Bendis making the jump to DC will probably be a good thing for all involved. But I also would not be like betting the farm on it. I just don't think anyone would because I don't think, you know, I you have... I don't I don't think there's that many farms to bet. I think you're right well, about right. it. If it was a cash, if it was a more cash rich year, yeah, it might be different. Mm-hmm. But 
I'm trying to think what's even going to be going. So metal will be over, right? Because metal finishes in March, mm-hmm. and we've got we've got the March solicits already. Mm-hmm. So so it won't be competing with metal, mm-hmm. but Doomsday Clock will still be going on. That's right. Um, so theoretically, that ties up the DC dollars, especially because in theory they're already uh, doing stuff for the New Age of DC Heroes mm-hmm. line. So I honestly can't see that launching high. Like I, can't, I don't either. Feel, that yeah. feels like it's going to launch mid fifties at best. I I think so too. I think so too. And honestly, here's the thing. I know this is a crazy theory, but the industry would be better if they had books that launched at fifty and and stayed there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The the whole thing of the the boom and bust of, of Pushing for big launches, uh, you know, of over a hundred or a hundred and fifty thousand, and then everyone selling, you know, is lucky to be selling fifty thousand, like within two years. It's it's just not it's just not a good healthy well, it's, pattern. I mean, it's nuts to look at the, the Marvel sales mm-hmm. over the last like two years, but you do see books launching at like that hundred thousand, and then like three months later they're thirty thousand. Yep. Well, and again, which is I mean. I mean, yes, Marvel's in free fall. Well, Marvel's in free fall, but that's also how Marvel pushes it. Like Marvel. Right? But that, that's, that's what it is. Like it's insane to see. Yeah. Like Marvel pat itself on the back by being like, look how much Iron Man 1 issue sold. Like yeah. issue 1 sold. Yeah. And then, you know, two months later, they're like, okay, Iron Man issue 3 sold like 32,000. But did you see how much Captain America issue 1 sold? Exactly. And you're like, you guys. Yeah. No, exactly. Well, and, and so DC's gotta, DC's gotta fix some problems to solve as well, I think, also in 2018. Like you said, they don't, who knows what the next set of events are. I don't think that that stuff is necessarily gonna launch. I mean, there's just, there's also just some, like, as DC starts, when DC starts swinging for the fences, and this is the other thing I sort of worry about, I feel like their quality control kind of falls apart, you know? Like... Well, DC has a history of everyone gets really... Like, DC is the underdog. DC does something exciting. Everyone gets really excited about DC. DC fucks it up. Yeah. Like, yeah. that. that is... That's just... You know, and you can look back decades now of seeing that. Right. Well, no, I know. You but know, I, and the, yeah. the, only, the only question is, how long does it take DC to, to fuck things up? Well, I think they might be fucking things up. Now, it depends on who you ask, admittedly. But, like, here's a fine example... Just a few weeks ago, I was looking at the new comics, as I do, the digital releases, and I'm like, ah, I wonder if I should... I had this horrible thought, which was, I wonder if I write Graham, he could send me, like, a PDF of this, because I'm... Because I don't... I want to read this, but I don't know if I want to pay this price, but I'm like, ah, you know what? Sort well, of what like... Is, what is the book? Oh, it's... I'm I'm shocked that you would be even asking me... It is, it is a, it's a lovely little number called, um, oh, where are you, you fucker? Uh, <laughs> Hawkman I, Found, I, issue number oh. one, by Jeff Lemire and Brian Hitch, and... No, it's not by Jeff Lemire, it's by Jeff Limra? Limra? Because, <laughs> hey everyone, fucking check for typos in your creator credits. Oh man, did they really fuck up his name in the credits? 
He hits his first full book back at DC, and they fucked up his name in the creative credits. And the cover credit for Liam Sharp, they missed out the P in his name as well. Wow. Wait, the color, cover credit for Liam Sharp. Did he do one of the covers or something? What am I, what am I missing? He, he, he did the main cover. Oh, he did. And they fucked that. Oh, I got to get to this part and see this. Well, oh, this is great. It's like page three or something. It's yeah. really early. Oh, like, yeah. They dropped that, the eye on Jeff Lemire and Liam yeah, Sharp. Yeah, Liam Sharp. Oh, yeah. man. And I honestly I saw that and I was like, oh, come on. Yeah. Seriously. Well, to be f- And I know you are fucking proofreaders, DC. I know you do. Uh, well, honestly, to be fair to them, after reading that comic, I'm sure they were like, <laughs> why fucking live? Cause that was... No, no, that... Who didn't want an entire one-shot that basically was, I am amnesiac, I am, am I Hawk? Am I man? There are things I am claiming. I am Hawkman! Forget my past, I have, I've fallen down. Okay, but you want to know something that's actually really sad, is I can see Jeff Lemire being like, nailed it! Because if you took his XO Man of War run and made it fuck his Moon Knight run, and this is what you would get. An inbred hillbilly of Hawkman found, where it's just like, I am falling, I am climbing, am I Hawk, am I man, who am I? I mean, like, it really is. Like, I liked his run, and it was like, am I Moon, am I Knight? And then it's XO Man of War, well, and it's like, I'm climbing, well, I, I, I'm wait, in a ship, I, it's an alien ship, is I, it all aliens? I'm climbing! I mean, in- I don't know if this is in Jeff Lemire's favor or not, but Matt Kent wrote Exo Man of War. Oh, shit. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, well, see, there you go. Yeah. I, I knew my research was poor on that one. But, so he's... So I know, he I know, I know exactly what you book. mean. But I you know exactly. what I mean? Like, it really was like, uh, Jeff Lemire, no, what are you doing? It's a, it's a bad, it's a, it's a lot of pages and they really, it was a $5 book and I really finished it being like, Oh, okay. I see, I see, I see what it's, you're trying to tell it's me. It's like, fuck those it's guys. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. That and Batman Lost, the other metal one shot. Oh, wow. I'm glad I didn't read that. Who wrote that? Was that also Lemire or Lemire? No, that's, that's Scott Snyder. Oh, is it? Oh, Jesus. I haven't even read I wa- it. I want to say, I want to say it might be Snyder and Jim Steiden, but it's definitely Snyder. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but both of those are, like Red Sky tie-ins, mm-hmm. like theoretically tie-ins to the main story, that literally add nothing, yeah. zero. Well, to the ongoing storyline. And honestly, Hawk. I mean, Batman Lost at least has the well, it's pretty, and I guess you could say there's some psychological horror, maybe. But Hawkman Found is just. I don't know why that book exists. Yeah. No, well, I mean, it, like it, 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 it does nothing. Well, ex- part, except like it destroy, destroy part, some goodwill, I think, which yeah. is part of the and, problem. It also makes, it also makes you go, huh, I really thought that Kevin Nolan would be more visible over Brian Hedges pencils, but not. Yeah, it's true. Like, You're absolutely I, it's right. It's kind of amazing that Kevin Nolan, it's like we found the one penciler that Kevin Nolan doesn't obliterate when he inks. Well, itch. it's the weirdest thing. Maybe. Maybe, maybe Kevin Nolan just did what everyone else apparently did and was then, like, yeah, phoned it in. And no, then to be fair, just I didn't do it, it. You know, I, I don't think Hitch is calling it in. 
I think Hitch is doing his Hitchy stuff. Well, no, 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 no. Honestly, I that did thing. have that thing of like, yeah, Hitch you know looks what was, like he's trying to do. It's not what I would you know like. What was hilarious what? though. Hmm. Hitch on shit, Facebook or Twitter or something. Like was like, yeah, I, I did that issue in a couple of weeks. Do you remember when like Hitch would take months to do a comic? Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, apparently, yeah, I apparently, think he did he say did that. Yeah, he turned around and, like, do it. Yeah. Oh. Well, let's face it. He had the script to work from, so. Uh, <laughs> but I have to say, though, I mean, I, I'm saying all this bitching, and and I mean, like, oh, I mean, that really was like five bucks, where I I was just like, oh, I can't believe that I fucking fell for this. And there's a way in which it's sort of like, I don't know, shame on me, but that's not the sort of attitude that you really want readers to have about your comics, you know, especially it, DC. It- you know what I mean? Yeah, so. and especially because metal is not your cup of tea, right? I think it's fair to say. Yeah, which but is a shame. Metal it started has a off lot of, way, but, but yeah. metal has a lot of goodwill, right? Exactly. There. Even for Do me, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even for me, I, I and, like and so yeah. having a pointless. And to be fair, I think all of the crossovers for metal have mm-hmm. been varying degrees of pointless. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I've read them all because I get the the, the oh, digital comps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, but. There's not been all of the like it's Batman but evil with a different member of the Justice League's powers. Yeah. Um all of those were just what the what is the fucking point other than you're trying to build sales. Yeah. And the there was a uh Gotham Underground crossover and there's a Bad Side of Hell crossover and none of them worked. Mm-hmm. They all feel just disruptive to that particular series' run. Mm-hmm. And adds nothing to the central metal storyline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's surprising. I mean, considering metal still has a lot of goodwill from readers. Yeah, it's kind of surprising because the crossovers are are almost a lesson in how not to do crossovers to one of these. Well, stories. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it it is. It's like it's shocking because they are. I would think that more people would be alienated by them. And it is interesting because part of me is like, oh yeah, Metal 4, at least it's still trying. I have, I have to say, I, so like in the run up for this, I was like, okay, which comics have I read? It's been a while since we've talked. I know I've got a bunch of stuff. My memory's so fucking bad. And I looked and I was like, oh shit, Metal 4. I bought it and I didn't even read it. Wow. That shows you how like demoralized I am about this. And then I was like, well, I should probably read it so before the podcast. And I started and I'm like, wait a minute. I literally I have had read this. this. I have read this. And I had this weird feeling where it'd be like, oh, I read this, but I stopped reading before the end because, oh no, I read this page too. And then this page, and I made it to the end. And I was like, I read that whole fucking thing. And it was not memorable at all. Oh, I, I, when issue four came out, I was like, I don't think I've read, I don't, not even sure I finished issue two. <laughs> I, I had the same experience with issues two and three. I was like, oh, I guess I have read these. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, it's not, it's, I mean, there's stuff I like in there. Like, I like sure. Jerk Starro a lot. I really do like Jerk Starro a bunch. I don't know why the idea of a giant star alien who's like, hey, losers! Yeah, that part, so that, that part was funny. I, really, I did really have that, that, like, oh my god, is this how they wrote that character in Justice League under Johns? Because maybe I should go back and read that, because that was probably the funniest that, part. That, sadly not. And oh. I do also love that, like, Star was in there, and he's like, remember, this happened, and the caption at the bottom is like, did this happen? <laughs> 
Like that's real. Like there is there's, there's the editorial caption is like, "What issue did this happen in?" Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yep. But like, but that's like that's moments of 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 fun in a story that you know, even as you're reading, is almost deleting its like your memory of it. Yeah. Well, you're like, wait, mm-hmm. why is Superman the ultimate battery? Wait, what's it the ultimate battery for? Yeah. Wait, who who needs him for the ultimate? Wait, I thought Batman was the. Uh, never mind. Why has Batman got the Infinity Gauntlet? Mm-hmm. No, what wait, what's <laughs> happening? Uh, why wait? Why are they looking for Starro? Wait, who's look? What? What's this got to do with metal? Right. And you like that's just how I experienced the entire book. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I, I, I. It is. It's kind of. It's kind. It's kind of a shame. I. So again, it has goodwill, but it is almost a despite itself kind of thing. I don't know how it's managing to keep it going, but okay, I guess. Just, ugh. Anyway, so yeah, DC, please stop releasing $5 one-shots that, that are garbage. The end. That'll help you a lot, I would like to think, in the in the months. I, yeah, it, uh, DC's 2018 is going to be fascinating. Yeah. Because yeah. I think, I mean, it's, 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 as I was saying before, DC always fucks up, and DC always fucks up when they're in the position they're in now, which is they're the people, they're the company that people look to mm-hmm. to like fix things. Yeah, right. And whenever someone is paying attention to DC, that's like, oh no, I've fallen over. <laughs> I've tri- I've tripped on my own feet. <laughs> they do like they they. It's the part where everyone's like, DC save us, and they look down and say, no shit, what's that? Is that Watchmen? <laughs> it is Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like we we are, you know, DC has great things to announce this, this year. Like I know some of it, and it's it's stuff that it's genuinely exciting to me, mm-hmm. and it's exciting on a, a a wonky level as well as a creative level, if that makes sense. Like things where I'm like, that's a really smart business decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am also like really really worried that they're going to be like okay here's our really exciting announcement and at the same time here's metal 2 like you didn't right. we go straight from metal into metal 2 but we did right. and it's about the beyonder coming to earth and he's going to learn how to use a toilet <laughs> like I, 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 I'm like I would not be surprised to see something like that happen you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. Where, where you're like you 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 blew it up you t- wow, you're really going for all the references. That's great. No, no, but really, like it's it's. I'm genuine. I, I would not be surprised mm-hmm. if at the same time as they're like, we're doing, you know, exciting announcement number one. Um, they also say, and by the way, we're also doing, you know, Dark Knight Four. Mm-hmm. You well, know, and, and just like oh. I mean, oh, okay. Right. Well, I think they're going to have a little bit of that. I mean, honestly, I don't think you can entirely escape. I mean, Dantidio has a certain mindset. You know what I mean? But I think, I think honestly, DC does overall as well. I mean, I mean, hopefully it's not Batman versus fucking V for Vendetta. That, that would be great. I'm lo- really looking forward to From Hell Hellblazer. <laughs> From from Hellblazer. Hellblazer, yeah, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> Moore's like, you didn't even publish that one, you fuckers. They're like, eh, You're like what? Jack the Ripper's public domain. <laughs> if you think about it, exactly. 
that is kind of brilliant. All of the characters he create, all the characters ex- fictionally, they exist. You know, they. Well, but, uh, but here's the funny thing: like you could theoretically rip off lots of Alan Moore like that. Oh well, like totally we're true. we're we're doing the League of More Extraordinary Gentlemen. Or even the, what the fuck are you going to do? They're all public domain in the first. We'll place. see exactly. Just call them something different. Holy shit! It is kind of a shame that nobody writing Justice League kind of has the balls to do that because they should. Are you totally joking, Chris Priest? That, well, that's Chris true. Priest would do that in a fucking second. Yeah. Well, he probably would. He probably would. But <laughs> as really a joke, was, it would be like one issue, and it would have lots of like, and here's a black panel with the caption. Yeah. Right. You know, but and it would be snarky shit. But he would do it. And it would probably be that part panel would probably be in quotes sincerest form of flattery, you know, or something. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. The watchtower, sincerest form of flattery. And then it's like Batman <laughs> just like punching the invisible man or something. Exactly. <laughs> One punch, and you're like, Jesus Christ, he's referencing that as well. Oh God. Oh God. God help us all. Comics is a vortex from which we can no longer escape. And then Alan Moore pops out of the vortex to be like, yes, I've come from idea space. <laughs> oh, um, man. Um, no, but that, like, I, I, we, I, the, the risk of 2018 is the industry is very financially precarious. Mm. The, the market is shrinking. Marvel has collapsed for all intents and purposes. And this is traditionally when DC fucks up. And that's like, this is a, this is a disaster. Well, there's a few other things. My worry is, is that Marvel is going to more or less come as close to extorting store owners into buying the next relaunch as they can. Cause that's the part that worries me. Like DC, I'm worried about DC in various levels and ways, but one thing that they do not seem to have which is good is they do not have financial um, levels that they have to hit. Like, I don't know what Marvel assume unless Marvel has gotten out from the lasso of that, you know, in a quarter or in six months, they're going to have an event and it's going to be imperative for them that it sells at the same levels that it did before or higher. And the extent to which they will try and, and convince people that it has to be done. And then more or less, I mean, hopefully it'll just be one of those situations where they just, you know, say fuck it and they, they flood, you know, they just do free overshipping on their copies so that they can claim sales or something. But I am honestly at the point where I think the best thing that could happen this year is that Disney notices and Marvel is failing. Uh, yeah, I think, well, I mean, this is my because thing. I, because is, I think yeah. Disney would just put money into the company. Mm, well, okay, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I, my, my, I think on the one hand they would. I think the, the whole situation, and I could be wrong, is, is that, that it's very much, um, Perlmutter's got a strong hand on it, on publishing, and that hand, his ability to stay on the wheel, whether it's perceived to be the case or not is due to him hitting certain levels and if they don't hit those levels and so for me i think that if they blow those levels at that point either if 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 it's not an actual contract with disney of like autonomy at x number of copies or whatever um 
but is rather just promuters in, you know, you hit these numbers and you're fired or you're fired. Uh, at that point, we might see Gabriel go. I don't, we've got all this stuff going on. Like Buckley is still, you know, back behind the scenes and, you know, none of well, this has even touched him as far as I can Everything tell, that's you know? going on at Marvel right now is wacky. Like we are now into the second month of C.B. Sabalski being Marvel's editor-in-chief. Right. He has been in the Marvel offices for less than two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been in the, he's been in the U.S. Two weeks yeah. in that month since being named, a month plus since being named Marvel's editor-in-chief. Right. Um, Marvel is being run by someone who is not C.B. Sabalski. <laughs> someone who is publicly telling people that he's not involved with Marvel editorial. Uh... Like, it's, it's nuts. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's genuinely stunning what is happening over there. Yeah. Like, to the point where I can't quite believe it's happening. Yeah. Or that it's continuing to happen is the thing. And that they're getting away with it. Yeah. Well, and, and right. Getting away with it is, you know, I, what I really mean by that is, like, no one at Disney has freaked out yet. Yeah. But it's it's crazy to me mm-hmm. that... It, the craziest part really is that Sobolski can be named editor-in-chief and then go on vacation. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, that pretty much describes the President of the United States. So, I mean... Yep. I'm not saying that I hold the fucking editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics to a higher standard than the President of the United States. But I do when it's this President of the United States. Well, sure. Well, or I mean, like, there, there is an idea that it, it would be, I mean, the, the fact is Disney's got some other interesting stuff going on. I, I could be 100% wrong, but I will bet you that the people at Disney, the amount of time that they've spent thinking about Marvel, about CB Sabolsky in particular, Oh, and, I, and I, the Kira Yoshida stuff. Know. Right, exactly. But Marvel overall is a blip compared to, I bet you, the number of meetings that they've had about John Lasseter in the last four months. You know? Like, that is, that's the, that's where, that's where all these guys are, are like popping antacids and like, o- you know. Honestly, I don't even think that's been on their radar that much. Lassiter's... No, really, really seriously. I think they'd be much more concerned with the Fox shit. No. No. Really? Really? Yeah. I honestly, honestly think that Lassiter was pretty much them being like, no, you've just got to go. And he was like, okay, then. He's not gone, though. He just took a leave. That's the thing. Yeah, that's what I mean by gone. Well, okay, but that's what I'm saying, is, is they're, this is why they're shitting themselves. They have to be able to bring John Lasseter back. You know what I mean? They can keep him on leave forever. No. No, 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 no. They may lie and say that John Lasseter is on leave, but like, Marvel, uh, Disney owes, like, Pixar and the success of Disney animation has been pinned to Lasseter. Like, to Lassiter. Like, they're not going to get rid of him. They cannot get rid of this guy as far as they're concerned. This is a guy who has made them 
billions of dollars and is still continuing like they need him because he is still a heavy hands-on creative guide like i'm sure they would like that they've probably spent a ton of time like interviewing everyone at pixar figuring out who the fuck that they can they can pull in if they need to but it's not I, one of I those will situations. I will lay money. I don't think Lester's going to be at Disney in, in a year from now. That, that could be the case, but believe me, if that's the case, they are shitting themselves. It wouldn't surprise me if that's where they were like, okay, in case of glass, you know, in case of emergency, break glass and buy Fox, you know? Because I think, you know, they they're, they might seriously be looking at the, at the diminishment of their animation empire and they don't want to do it and this is the thing it's it's they've got enough wiggle room to where they think they can get away with it and i think they i think what they're praying for is is that they can get away with it so i could be wrong but i think that that's if you want to know that's where disney's like marvel tire fire that it is 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 on the opposite oh, Mar- coast marvel and is publishing is, is exactly tiny. exactly it's tiny. It's What's going nothing. to happen is if that infects the Marvel Studios brand. Right. And it's that's not. that's where Disney is in danger. Yeah, it's, it's not going to it's but it's not, you know? Yeah, I think it might. No. I think the Curious Shooter thing is going to have far more likes than they, than they think. I uh, sure, I, it I, will, I, I but really... the idea that it's going to affect like Avengers Infinity War or something like that? No. The it, the idea that it's going to show up in press junkets and that people are going to have to be be asked about it mm-hmm. is is real. And that's what they don't want to happen. Maybe. Like if that ha- if that happens, then people at Disney start noticing. Mm-hmm. But like I know for a fact that Disney executives didn't have a clue about half of this shit. Oh, of course not. Yeah, no, uh, no, 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 no. because I also know for a fact that some do now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm sure, and I'm sure you they're know? not pleased. And you know, no, but but if it if it bleeds into like the Infinity War press junket, that's not good. And, and there's there's many fucking ways Marvel could deal with it. Uh, not least of which, let C.B. Sabolsky actually fucking do an interview about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. I just today I was actually thinking, when is the first major convention of the year, and are Marvel going to be there? Right, because that's going to be fascinating. Yeah, I think I think New York Comic Con will be interesting in that sense. I want to say yes, but at the same time, like Marvel had a shitty New York Comic Con last year, and basically got away with it by not talking to anyone. Well, but I, that's it. I, that's what I feel like. <laughs> Marvel gets away with not talking to everyone a lot. They don't even necessarily they they turn around and can pull. A, we don't really. We're not having a. Con, we're not having a convention presence. We're not going to the convention yeah, officially. That's just it. That's right. Yeah. I would not be surprised if they do that. If yeah. they have, and I honestly can't think what the first convention of the year is, the major one that Marvel will be at. Cause I want to say Emerald City might be the first major convention of the year, right. but Marvel's never there. Exactly. Um, but like C2E2 or something, I genuinely don't know the order of conventions this year, mm-hmm. but the first one where Marvel is at and they have a bad experience, mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if all of a sudden they're like, we're only going to do the D23. We're only doing Disney events now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that's just what we do. Yep. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be. 
going to be a year. It's going to be a really interesting year. Yeah. And probably a horrible one for lots of people. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When we say interesting, we really do mean bad. <laughs> no, but like really seriously. I, I Related and completely unrelated. I have a question for you, Jeff. Yes. Why do you read comics? Why do I read comics? Like, what are what are you looking for from the comics you read today? Uh, you know, generally it's a little bit of uh, one part, like, ooh, I like the art, to one part, I kind of, I like the story, you know. It's interesting that you mention that, because, of course, I feel like, so we we were talking at the beginning of this episode about how I was sick, right? And I was basically it hit me just in time for for the new year's eve weekend we didn't have you and i did not podcast um i had a three-day weekend we had a social engagement on monday that i had to worry about but the rest of the time i slept and uh i read i read eight volumes of a cheesy romance manga called domestic girlfriend which because it was being published by Kodansha and Kodansha was having a line-wide sale, I paid half price for those volumes, but it's ridiculous that I read that many volumes of it, you know? Um yeah. But it was still also kind of great. It was interesting to me that I was like, okay, now I got to read what happens. Like, <laughs> you know, is this guy going to actually stay in love with the older sister or is he going to admit that he's really in love with the younger sister oh man I can't believe that I'm already on volume 5 and this is not wrapping up anytime soon you know is ridiculous but that's part of part of what I'm reading I I feel like I'm having the a better time than ever reading comics generally but I feel like that's because I'm just reading all over the map like manga really saved my ass but you know, I read the first 50 pages of volume one of Kill Six Billion Demons, um, by, uh, by, uh, what's his name? <laughs> God damn it, I wrote it down and now it disappeared. Tom Parkinson Morgan, because volume two just came out this week and Brandon Graham was like, hey, you guys should pick this up. It's good. And I was like, oh shit, right. I remember people saying things about volume one. And since it was on Images Half Price Sale, I picked that up, read the first 40 or 50 pages and it's, it's really good. Like, it's really, like, um, it kind of, at certain points, I'm like, oh, this is kind of what Graham was talking about with Extremity, which I have not read yet. But, you know, it was, it's kind of this insane Miyazaki film slash meets heavy metal kind of influence that's just, like, really, uh, was, was great. I was like, wow, this is, this is great. Snacklepuss, like exit stage left, the Snacklepuss Chronicles. What a weird fucking book that is. Right? Oh my god. But good. Uh, yes, mostly pretty good. I have to say, I, I'm not sure I really ran hot and cold on the art. I agree with you. I think the cover raises expectations for the interior that the interior art doesn't fulfill. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, I admit that it's kind of a hard thing. It's a hard book to draw, frankly. And I think their approaches were, I guess it was about as good as you could get, but there were points where I was like, yeah, this is, this, this is the, I don't know, just something about, just something about the, 
the animal faces were fine, but some of the human faces were rough, or at certain points, some of the people were holding things but weren't really holding... The art was distracting. The, the, the book asks a lot of its artists. It does. Because it's not just asking for the animals to be realistic, or at least recognizable as the cartoon characters, right. but also to get actual historical likenesses. Yes. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Which right. is, which is, it really is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It's a, vi- and it's, and I mean, and on top of that, you've got, you've got, yeah, I mean, just crazy, the historical personages, but the amazing thing where you've got Snagglepuss's play and you've got, you've got characters, human characters and cat characters wearing like dog ears and noses. Yes. yes. On believable like i mean it yeah. really is it's a crazy fucking book i en- i enjoyed reading it a lot but i was also like what i mean part of it is like i'm kind of amazed that this was published by a major publisher <laughs> right it's, yeah it is kind of cra- crazy that you're like wait so get, let me get this straight this is a book about a gay playwright who's writing furry plays uh in 1950s where it's also about the biggest uh, pop culture draw is the execution of communists. Well, see, that's it. To me, it's just the idea that you've like, got a, a Hanna-Barbera cartoon character where, like, one of the main events of the issue is the execution of the Rosenbergs. It's like, what the fuck? Like, I mean, that's great. I mean, it honestly, there's a it, it's a a lot of it is a strong issue. I think, but. But there are parts where I I felt like I don't know if anyone could have pulled it off, but I felt like the artists were struggling with it, you know. Whereas like something that is way way less um, ambitious, uh, Planet of the Apes Ursus by um, David Walker and Chris Mooningham with an absolutely gorgeous cover by Paolo Rivera and Joe Rivera. Um, Mooningham's art is gorgeous oh my god and walker is like sewing it right into its stuff that's happening between the scenes of the original planet of the apes movie it's it's it that was god the art on that was great so anyway part of me is like i'm reading bullshit like that and i'm like comics are great <laughs> well, no, but, you so know the reason the reason i ask is actually as you know, I'm reading a lot of stuff that I don't normally read for the Eisners. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been it's been such a, a rewarding but also completely unexpected experience mm-hmm. because I, it's not that I would normally not read a Gabrielle Bell book, mm-hmm. but like when you're predominantly reading like Gabrielle Bell or or um or I like I've been reading a lot of kids books mm-hmm. this week. You know, and you're reading all of the Nobro stuff. Like, uh, I read Lorena Alvarez's Nightlights, which, by the way, Jeff, is fucking beautiful. Yeah. Like, Hunt Down, have you seen it? Yes, yeah, yeah. It's actually, uh, yeah. my niece's June's favorite book. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, cause it's, it's just like, it's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. And, and there's a lovely ambivalence to the story as well, which yes. I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's, when you read that sort of stuff predominantly, mm-hmm. and it's, you understand the medium because, of course, we understand the medium. We've grown up reading this medium. We've been reading this medium for for years. Right. But the content is so different from my norm. Right. Right. It's a it's a wonderfully disorienting experience. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
that, that you are like, oh, comics are like I've always known comics are are an, an infinite medium as much as any other storytelling yes, medium. Absolutely. But to be reminded of that mm-hmm. in such a tangible manner, yeah, is wonderful and and really sort of um, confronts you with the idea of how limited your concept of comics as a business is as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you a know? good point. Like we talk about, uh, we essentially talk about like the drug market in, in North in North America. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, we talk about manga, right? But again, it's manga that's been published within the North American market. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the books I've been reading this week are from Nobro, who are yeah. I think a, a British publisher mm-hmm. who who import over here, but they're a British publisher and they they sort of exist outside the drug market altogether. Right. And they're like everything I've read from them, mm-hmm. it has been. Just of outstanding quality, mm-hmm. like amazingly beautiful work, mm-hmm. uh, like literally visually beautiful, but also uh, emotionally engaging mm-hmm. and, and intellectually challenging, and also challenging in terms of genre. Right. You know, so it's magical realism, but it's magical realism that is also a comedy that is also speaking to like a pop culture awareness that you would normally get in a mainstream comedy in the U.S. Mm-hmm. while also touching on Norse myth. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And 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 of course you can do that, especially with kids' books, because it's like kids don't understand genre distinction in the same way that adults do. Yes. Or don't expect, I should say, genre distinction in the same way that adults do. Mm-hmm. Um. But you know when you you have so much of that input, it's kind of funny to look back at like you know be like, well, it's direct market, it's fucking Batman or it's nothing, right? You know, and <laughs> you're like, it could be so much more. Well, and I think I th- which is a little bit why um, I mean, and I think you're aware of this because one of the things that I thought was interesting was you on your Twitter openly challenged because it felt like there was another ring of like, oh, I can't wait for the direct market to die, you know, and you being like, seriously, I know it has its flaws. What's the alternative? <laughs> yeah, but what's the alternative? And people were just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, um, uh, uh, that, that, um, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest, that kind of depressed me because I saw so many people who were essentially like, well, they all, we, we didn't want it to die, we just wanted it to go away. Right. Or we just want the things to change, and every single person who responded. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think that's true. I think it might actually have been every single person who offered a suggestion mm-hmm. was essentially saying, "I want the comics I like to be okay." Yeah, right. And right. and nothing beyond that. Yeah. You know, so there's lots of like, well, superhero comics can just fuck off, and it's like, but why? Why do they have to fuck off? Mm-hmm. Like, it's one thing to say. It would be nice to have a broader market. It would be great to have a broader market. Right. But that doesn't mean that an entire genre of, of the industry should die. Right. Well, you know, or right. we should have, we should just have monthly anthologies. Great. But what about people who don't want to spend the monthly anthology money? Well, it's not, it's not even, it's not even that. It's just, it's very much that idea of like, yeah, where and how, you know, like maybe at some point someone will actually do, uh, okay, we're going to do like DC's like, we're going to do an anthology title and it's not going to be like, you know, the five mini series. Yeah. The five mini series <laughs> that we decided yeah. we couldn't publish. There weren't enough on their own, but literally do something kind of like what they tried with action comics weekly. Right. You know, yeah. and 
and and see if that really has a has a go of it but but there's so there's so much there i mean the thing that's crazy is is that the there's there's a lot of problems the, the honestly the main problem right now with the marketplace is is that it's just it can't you can't get enough physical stores open enough you know I mean, there's, there's a number of problems. And really, honestly, a lot of what, it, what it does boil down to is, is that when people are like, hate the direct market, they really, the ways in which the marketplace is set up to, they, they hate the fact that it's like the focus is so heavily on, say, Marvel and DC. But, but the fact is, is that, you know, the, the barrier the barrier to getting something published in in the direct market is still incredibly low the problem is trying to grow that marketplace either for those titles that come in that you know can get published for a relatively small amount of money if and if diamond's willing to cover it your set but also just the fact that nobody dumps money into marketing for the direct market like nobody takes the responsibility for that you know like yeah. i i saw some people and, and replying the, the crazy thing is the crazy thing is when people do yeah like dc put some money in around the new 52 yeah. and that actually impacted all the publishers yes yeah and that's the thing like if they were if you know what they really need is that sort of awareness that they have to you know develop actual marketing departments with actual marketing budgets and I do actual reach out for stuff not expecting the the fucking editor of your as you put it the editor of you know a fucking title to go on Twitter and beg people not to boycott it you know or to have like writers and artists like be expected to be the primary um, marketers for their material Although, let's face it, the fact is that's regular publishing as well these days now. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, the no, fact no, is... Appar apparently, if you have Steve Bannon say something controversial, that's the way to make your well, book yes. sell these days. Exactly. Well, no, exactly. But, I mean, the the fact is, is I, I'm sure you know, because you know published writers, is, is that, that publishers and agents look at how big your social presence is, yeah, you know, and that, they, they'll, they'll look at that when deciding whether to publish it. Exactly, exactly. You know, that's that, and that, and again, that's quote unquote regular publishing that a lot of people complaining about the direct market want to have emulated. Or people talk about like movies, where movie advertising, m movie making happens on a scale, a budgetary scale that the the rest of us you know can only dream of you know the the sad part of the direct market is it's it's a grinder's market you know you grind out little bits of money on the side and every once in a while you get a huge hit but generally you put lots of money out on the roulette table but it's like one chip on each of all these things and people are like well I want, you know, I want everyone, I, the chips should all be on this book. This book is good. And it's like, look, they, you know, honestly, the, the whole marketplace is screwed up, but 
but I don't, there's times where I'm like, not any worse than any of the other marketplaces. Like when you look at the way that the music industry is run or the way the television industry was run, like you hear people within that, those industries be like, okay, come on, this is broken. Like there's nothing more entertaining than seeing John Rogers on Twitter talk about pilot season, you know, cause it's just like, wow, there's every medium has some, incredibly weird fucked up things because the fact is nothing you never know what's going to be a hit there is no guaranteed slam dunk like you can you can you can be like we're putting will smith in this netflix movie and it's going to be the biggest thing since sliced bread you know and you just you just don't know hey well it it was vastly successful because people don't understand hate watching is still watching well Hate watching is still watching, but I'm sort of like, uh, I, I, and who knows? I, A, Netflix is basically doing, you know, is not necessarily, well, actually, I take it back. They had Nielsen ratings on, on Bright, didn't they? That said that yeah. it was like high. Yeah, but that Netflix's Nielsen ratings, like, Netflix always say they're not true. Well, yeah, right. So there's that. Also, as a guy who watches Netflix, and I'm sure you have the same thing, Graham, you cannot open up Netflix and have your cursor pause on a program tile for longer than six seconds before it starts autoplaying. The trailer starts. Yeah. yeah. So part of me is like the, the number of plays that, that of bright that popped up because it came up next on people who fell asleep or lingered too long on one goddamn tile where they went to get their, you know, hot pockets out of the microwave. <sighs> It's all it's it's all smoke and mirrors, Graham. It's all smoke and mirrors. That's why I'm telling you. <laughs> Welcome everyone to Jeff and Graham start off 2018 by being really cynical about every business, every media business in existence. Exactly. The only thing that I tell you you can count on is Chris Claremont. Is because oh my god, fucking Chris Claremont. I cannot believe Slow Boy and uh... I. I genuinely was like, I can't tell if I was like impressed. Or horrified well, that they show up, but I kind of love it. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty much a Chris Claremont way, uh, <laughs> right? Do you have do you have comics that you've read? Uh, other stuff that you want to talk about? That's like good stuff. Um, do you have other I, news? I actually, do you want news and vagaling? I actually kind of don't have any other comics because it, most of my reading has been right the Eisner, Eisner stuff, yeah, early. Uh, or things that aren't out yet. For example, I read the sixth issue of Mr. Miracle, which comes out this week, mm. and I loved it. Uh, un- unsurprisingly, I've loved every issue so far. Yes. This is a very, this is Mitch Gerard's issue. Um, which is not to say the writing is like, you know, bad. It's actually a wonderful, uh, I, I was going to give it away. The dialogue is wonderful and kind of the focus on this, this issue in terms of King. Is the dialogue, mm-hmm. but Gerard's gets to show off formal chops mm-hmm. that he hasn't so far in the series, and it gets to a point where you're just like, oh, he's just like, this is just amazing work. Mm. I kind of want to explain, but also don't because the surprise is half the fun. Yeah, uh, you might as well he leave play, it alone. He, yeah. play, he plays with the nine-panel grid, mm. which obviously has been all through the series. Yes. Uh, he plays with it in a physical sense, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that it is, it's just great. It's really, really, really great work. 
Um, and ended it's the last issue before, it's the last issue of the first trade and also they're taking a month off between, mm. uh, this and the next issue. It's got a very good, not even a cliffhanger, but it's a very good place to, to end it. Right. Um, which is great. But no, otherwise it really has been mostly Eisner things and weirdly a lot of prose this week, like mm-hmm. unrelated to comics entirely. Mm-hmm. Even before the Michael Wolf book, which of course I'm reading. Of course you are. I read the The Devil's Bargain, which is about Bannon and Trump. Oh right. And mm-hmm. they're they're sort of dual uh paths towards each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read that earlier this week, and there's something else I read earlier this week, and I totally can't remember the life of me. Oh, I'm reading a, I'm reading a seemingly endless, and I say this because it's like 630 pages, uh, book about Brexit. Oh, wow. Which, which is good, but, uh, exhaustive and exhausting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm learning a lot, but it's 630 pages, and it's 630 pages of very small print. <laughs> Where I feel like I know everyone involved in Brexit story personally. <laughs> <laughs> and I think part of that is, like I said, it's been really rewarding to work through the, the, the things I, I'm reading for the Eisners, mm-hmm. but it's also overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've got to sort of intellectually cleanse my palate, and I'm doing that through reading nonfiction prose. Mm. Which is a shame. I have a bunch of books of stuff that's coming out later this year that I really want to get to, mm-hmm. but feel like I can't. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because so many things came out in 2017 that I'm like, no, I have to get through these. I have to get through these. That's great. Uh, so, like, I've got, in terms of stuff that's coming out in 2017, I have the first volume of the new Action Phil, uh, Action President series, mm-hmm. which you may or may not know, they're, they're uh, Fred Van Lente and, and I was going to say Ryan North, and that's not his name. Uh, Ryan the- Dun- yeah. Ryan and Levy are doing a series of YA books, mm. each one focusing on a different president. Oh, that's great. I didn't know I that. Think it's, I think it's for Scholastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's launching next month. And I have to, I have to read that because I'm going to be talking to them for work. But that's there. I've got the, the Prince and the Dressmaker, which is, uh, a, uh, for second graphic novel. Um, John Quarterly just sent me a couple of books and they all look great. And I'm like, but I don't have time. Yeah. I don't have time, you guys. Uh, <laughs> I, I could take like a week off of work and just spend reading and I still wouldn't be caught up. Wow. You know? That's so, good. so no, I, I, I'm, I'm, everything I'm reading, even the things I'm hating, and there's a bunch I'm hating, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, if I wasn't, if I wasn't a judge, mm-hmm. I would be telling you, I'd be naming and shaming. Ah, that's fair. would. Um, but everything is rewarding because I feel like everything is in many ways reprogramming my ide- my idea of comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it also feels like a lot. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. It, I. It sounds like a lot, and I. I very much believe that. I think that's so. Of... So things like um, Grand X Men Grand Design. Mm-hmm. I'm super curious about it. Mm-hmm. But it honestly goes in this part of my brain right now where I'm like, I'm going to wait for the trade because I don't even have the brain space right now. Yeah, which makes sense to me. You know, mm-hmm. what have you been reading, Jeff? And we uh, should do it quickly because we're we're coming up in two hours. Yeah, we are. So that's part of why I was like, Graham, you should talk about this stuff because we're running out of time. Uh, so yes, uh, Marvel Horror the Magazine Collection, X Men Grand Design One and Two, uh, Batman Thirty Seven and Thirty Eight. 
uh, Batman and the Signal, issue one, which has some lovely work by Coley Hemner, uh, on Oh, Earth. it looks so great, right? Yeah, it does. I, I'm a little, um, there's things that I'm a little dubious about, but, uh, but, you know, but it's kind of, particularly the fact that it's called Batman and the Signal, and I'm like, they just didn't feel like they could launch this one as Signal, apparently. Batman shows up for like a page. <laughs> oh, man, it is such a cheat. Um, do, 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 do. I mentioned Planet of the Apes Ursus and Exit Stage Left Snagglepuss, um, that crazy amounts of Domestic Girlfriend, Walking Dead 175, Rock Candy Mountain number 7, the conclusion of Commandy Challenge, which I was kind of, if we'd had more time, I would have talked with you about, um, the uh, kind of amazing Ghost Rider Christmas special infinite comic by Method Man, Anthony Piper, Balak, and Andres Massa. What? Yeah, you should go catch check that out on Marvel Unlimited. You like yourself a good Christmas story. <laughs> this is nothing like a good Christmas story. So, I was yeah. going to say, Ghost Rider Christmas special by Method Man. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's it's actually it's kind of fun. I don't really bother with the infinite comics, honestly. So it was kind of that approach sort of kept things kind of uh, lively. Um, and I think um, and it worked. I honestly I didn't realize that it was Method Man until I got to the end, and I was like, oh right, I think I remember hearing about this right, because it was it was perfectly fine in a disposable comic kind of way. Uh, from the ridiculous to the more ridiculous, I also read, uh, West Coast Avengers Since the Past by Steve Englehart and mostly Al Mogram and Joe Sinnott. As you know, there's like a, an Avengers annual and West Coast Avengers annual crossover in there. And which, is there not a Scarlet Witch and Vision crossover in there as well? Um, Scarlet, Scarlet Witch and Vision pop up in there, but they don't, they're, they're crossover issues. I don't think pop up in this trade. They mention it. But of course, the, st- the, the West Coast Avengers um, annual requires, because it's the return of Quicksilver, it requires Vision and Scarlet Witch to show up yeah. and, yeah, they, they, you know, supply the the denouement, as it were. And um, Steve Ditko does the art on the uh, Avengers annual. The Avengers which, annual, right? Yeah. Which, now that I come to think of it, I don't think is Englehart written. Now that I think about it, I think Danny Fingeroth writes it. Uh, but like co-plots it or something like that. So that's... yeah, it, it, I'm looking at the Amazon thing right now. That's a weird art lineup. Yeah, Mark Bright's drawing as well, and Alex yep. Saviak. Yeah, exactly. Bright's Bright's on the West Coast Avengers annual, and then it's and it's Ditko on the Avengers side of things. And so, I mean, admittedly, they sort of change gears because I don't I don't remember if the Quicksilver stuff comes in because there's a lot of. In fact, that's right. The the opening of the the hook of the Avengers annual is is that the, they've been betrayed by uh, uh, one of their own has betrayed them to the government and so they have all this thing of fighting the government and the government shenanigans and stuff which with some crazy Ditko art and then the West Coast Avengers annual more or less opens with them being like who is the traitor and and of course it's Quicksilver so it sets up all this stuff which of course was great fun because that stuff more or less leads into the Fantastic Four stuff that we had you know, read in a row. Yeah, we've just read, yeah. Baxter building, yeah. So it was kind of like, huh, that's loopy. Um, I think that's it as far as comics go. I mean, uh, I yeah. Mean, that, that's a lot, Jeff. Yeah, that is a you lot. You read eight volumes of that manga series. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. And, and sort of frustrating because I had a whole bunch of other manga lined up that I've been 
eager to read and and as well as um Panther's Quest, you know, the Don McGregor uh So it's that the yeah, so that's the 1980s stuff, right? Exactly. Marvel Comics mm-hmm. Presents. Mm-hmm. Have exactly. you ever read that? I haven't. I haven't. And I, I, I'm super curious what you're going to make of it. Yeah, I, I am too. And honestly, it was like, I read a page or two of it when I was getting sick and I was like, and I literally was like, I just, I don't, I don't have the strength for this. I do not have the, the strength to make it through Don McGregor's purple prose, which, which I adore. Like the fault is mine, not, not yours, Don McGregor. I don't, didn't think that you would think so anyway, but. So yeah, that that was uh was kind of amazing. So I think I think that's where we'll leave it. I could complain about Guardians of the Galaxy 2. There was the uh, I was going <laughs> to bore you, you with you the amazing. You did not like that. You you were on Twitter and you did not like that. Yeah. I was talking about Twitter. What was the show that you were going to bore me about? Oh, Gemini Man. I was going to bore you about this long long ass dream that I had about the conclusion of uh watching the conclusion of Gemini Man, which is Amazing to me when I woke up, like this dream went on forever. I mean, that's one of the things about being sick is my nights are not especially restful and the stress dreams are weird. So this one was very vivid. And it's one of those things where nine times out of 10 gram, I bring stuff up. We've got an, you know, you and I are not the same age, but inevitably you've read it, heard it, seen it because you're ridiculously omnivorous. Um, but yeah, I, but it, it, so Gemini Man was a TV series that ran in 1976 for apparently just 12 episodes. And as I mentioned in Twitter, what's crazy is, is the fact that it was, uh, part of the Invisible Man craze that was happening on TV at that time. There was another show, uh, <coughs> The Invisible Man starring David McCullum that ran the same period of time. And it's, and I remember that. Wow. I remember that. Don't remember the Gemini one. I want to say that was either in reruns or right. Because I I remember that. So that's shocking. Well, I mean, like I said, I half expected you to um, know the Gemini, Gemini Man. Though I, it's like it's one of those things where I know the name, but I think that might just be a false thing because it's kind of a generic name. It, it it is a generic name. Gemini Gemini Man ran from like like I said, twelve episodes. It apparently was created by. Um, Harv Bennett, I, I think, uh, let's see, do they mention that on here? Wow, they've got so little info on IMDb. But, um, Harv Bennett, who, of course, and I, I, I want to go say, on to produce the Star Wars, the Star Trek films. Uh, Star Trek films, exactly. In fact, I don't know if Nicholas Meyer was involved with this one as well or not. Doesn't, doesn't look like it. Oh no, you idiots. They've got stuff so badly. They actually have H.G. Wells is credited as one of the writers. I'm like, no, you idiots. Anyway, it's from that period of time. <laughs> you idiots! You what are you idiots. doing? I believe that because of the success of the Six Million Dollar Man, you started getting a lot of, um, super powered spy TV shows, you know, most of which crashed and burned like these and Man from Atlantis and some other stuff. Gemini Man, I thought, had a strong hook in that he's a government agent who uh, basically, I don't remember what kind of crazy accident happens to him, but he finds himself, oh no, it's he can turn himself invisible by tapping his watch. Um and so he clicks his, he clips his digital watch. It turns him invisible. Oh, come on. But it's one of those things where he can only stay invisible for, if he stays longer than 15 minutes, he's invisible forever. 
So they had lots of sequences where it's him uh, infiltrating it's, it's, into it's, things. Wait, 50 minutes like at a time? So you could do like 50 minutes and then tap it and then tap it again. Well, yeah, exactly. I, well, it, maybe it's 15 minutes in a 24-hour period. I don't think so, though. He ends up, So he ends up using his powers. He always ends up caught in situations where he's like in an enemy base and he has to be... You know, he's running out of time and of course he needs to turn visible, but there's no one. And so inevitably he like has to trust the hot chick Russian spy or whatever. Anyway, sure. it's, it's very much like from that era, the Ben Murphy who plays, who plays the, the lead character is kind of that, um, you know, seventies leading man combination of like polyester, beef jerky and hairspray. You know what I mean? That like, it, interestingly enough, in my dream, which I'm wa- I'm watching the final episode of Gemini Man, and in that episode, instead of it being uh, Ben Murphy, it's actually uh, David Naughton. I think that's right. The the guy who um, was the Dr Pepper guy, um, as well as the lead in American Werewolf in London. Um, okay. And I might have been getting confused of that because David Naughton starred in. Is it making it? You know the. Um, the sit the the sitcom that was basically the Saturday Night Fever ripoff that ran for about like six issues that that Gary Marshall created. Um, God, I'm now I'm now looking this up. Making uh, it with making with, it. Uh, with no G. Yeah, yeah, making it. That's right. In fact, if I was not sick and not tone deaf, I could uh, actually see parts short. of the yeah. Uh, theme there you song. go. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it, it was highly influenced by the disco craze and the movie Saturday Night Fever specifically. Yep. Exactly. It had the misfortune of coming to air near the end of the disco fad as backlash against disco culture, such as the one portrayed in the show, was rising in the United States, culminating in the disco demolition night in the summer of 1979. See, it shows as you such, it only eight weeks on the air before yeah, being cancelled. Exactly. Oh, right. It's 1979, which is much, much later than Gemini Man. So. In my dream, what's amazing is there's a the final episode of Gemini Man has him turning invisible to infiltrate a huge riot that has happened on a college campus as a result of a rugby game gone awry. And <laughs> it turns out in the course of trying to investigate it, he discovers that his opposite number which is another invisible man who can turn invisible, who's been doing it to um, destroy, like to undermine the government, has done this, it has like instigated this this rugby riot that leads to the takeover of the American University and is going to lead to this huge, like, because of course what's happening is is the police are going to go in and basically break it all up and it's going to be this bloody riot that, David Naughton's invisible opposite number has like manipulated all of this because of course he's working with a quote unquote foreign government to do this. So it's invisible man versus invisible man action on a college campus is only my fevered brain can imagine it. And the best part was because, and here's where the rugby scrum comes in because it's happening on a wet, muddy play field. You've got them fighting one another as like muddy shapes like out in the anyway, the best part of it is when both of them in sort of a strange JK JK Chesterton type finale realize that 
the the invisibility has been granted them by nothing other than the Holy Spirit itself, and they themselves are supposed to be the true spirit of Catholic faith emanating on the world, and they both turn decide to turn from helping their respective governments to helping make manifest the invisible hand of God in our affairs. What? Yeah. I woke up and I was like, what have I been smoking? Like, it was amazing that all that shit was... Now, admittedly, it makes it sound... I mean, I mean, that was literally all in my brain somehow, and I have no idea where it came from. And again, the thing that's amazing is, is my brain decided to hinge all that on Gemini Man, a TV series that is 30 some odd years old, like 32 years, no, 40 years old now, 42 years old. And, and I, was I like, fully believe that you had not thought about No. since, like, it was on. Yeah, well, I don't know, Graham. That's that's the scary part. But let's just say that it's been a long time since, you know? And uh really kind of weird, some weird type shit. And so I, I when I, I... I mean, that's genuinely astounding. Isn't that crazy? So I was like... I want to see that. That dream exists so that you could tell it in this podcast, so that everyone that sat through us being depressed about the, <laughs> the industry and the year ahead could, like, get that as a payoff. There you go. People could be like, huh, so pop culture will actually help me, provided that I'm feverish enough. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> I am Jeff Lester. I'm sick and having the most astounding dreams. Really crazy, really crazy. My my mind is blown. I cannot <laughs> tell you. Holy shit! Isn't that crazy? Really oh crazy. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. So. Oh my god. Anyway, everyone. Jeff, so. Jeff, your 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 mind is a wonderland. <laughs> yes, the somewhat less successful sequel to John Myers' Your Body Is a Wonderland. Right. So, yeah. Exactly. I was you worried see, that's I, where I, you were going. I, I lay it down and you pick it up. That's what I like. <laughs> that teamwork right there. Indeed. The kind of wait what teamwork you people tune in for. So, Graham McMillan, are we back next week? We are back next week. And I... Th- it's, is it a Baxter building? It shouldn't be a Baxter building, but should it be a Baxter building? It technically... It, sh- it should be another wait what. But... Yeah. But you it should probably it maybe, building you're right. so that we do uh we basically have a back to building in the middle of the month from now on. It's supposed to end the month. Because it shifted. It used to be the middle of the month. People, we're doing a Baxter building next. Woohoo! Oh my god. I made the decision. This means that Jeff and I have to read Fantastic Four issues and I have to remember what they are. Oh right. That's always the challenge. Yeah, we're it? going we're going to the end of the the um Engelhart run. The Engelhart run. Yeah. So we're doing uh three twelve Oh god. Well did we make it through three twenty seven? Three twenty eight. We're doing three twenty eight through three thirty three. Wow. Fabulous. That's what we're doing. Okay. That's what we're doing. Three twenty eight through three thirty three. Mm-hmm. That is in a week. And then we're back after that with another Wade Watts. And otherwise, I don't know what to tell you, apart from telling you that show notes for this episode will be up at waitwadpodcast.com. There's also a Tumblr where I just post, like, random fucking comic shit that I'm reading. Uh, and that is waitwadpods.tumblr.com. There is a Twitter account at waitwadpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account on his own at lazybastard, at L-A-Z-Y 
B-A-S-T-I-D, where he entertains us all with uh, teasing Gemini Man stories that really paid off. Like, holy <laughs> shit, I'm not prepared. I'm still reeling, Jeff. I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> I have a Twitter account where I don't do any of that shit, but I'm at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a Patreon-supported podcast. That's right. Which means Jeff Lester has something to tell you all. Cue the special music. Yes. Um, hey everyone, you guys are the best. Just, if you, I doubt, you know, who knows, maybe you've secretly suspected that. We can confirm it for you. Just by nature of listening to this podcast, you are categorically the best. And we're incredibly grateful for the fact that you uh, tune in and continue to listen to our prattle or not prattle, but um, depending on how I, I think pr- let's stick with prattle prattle, you know, <laughs> the, the, the meter does vary. Yeah, there's a spectrum. I feel like there's a spectrum, you know, so but yeah, you're right. But yeah, so anyway. Uh, but we're also super grateful for the people at Patreon who um, go the extra mile and throw us a little bit of fat stacks so that uh, we can um, feel empowered in this uh, horrifically capitalist society that only places value on one thing, which is value. Hold on, I'm getting lost. Anyway, the point come, being... Come on, you almost stuck that landing. I almost did! I was like, Ugh! And then I didn't, and it's like, that's too late. Too late in the evening, damn it. We're grateful to all of you. We thank you very much. Uh, we spent, send out special thanks to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for their continuing support of this podcast. And uh, in the case of Empress Audrey, for not um, crushing us in her uh, mighty galactic paw, even though sometimes that would feel like an amazing mercy. So hopefully... Wait, wait. But to be fair... American Ninth Hour Studio has not crushed us either. That is true as well. Yeah, yeah, we, that's right. You're right. I don't want to show any sort of bias there. They both have continued to let us survive, which (laughs) we're incredibly grateful for. Which, if you think about it, we're doubly grateful for. Yeah, if you think about it, it, honestly, there you go. Factor one, their continuing support. Factor two, their continuing um, allowance of our existence. So, thank you. Thank you, all of you. Graham? <laughs> I feel like you're like, thank you, and goodbye, and then it'd be like a smoke bomb and just run off the <laughs> That is the one problem with an audio podcast. We can't pull off a visual gag like that. Oh, well. Everyone at home, please just imagine that happens. Imagine there's a small explosion underneath Jeff. I, but not, oh my god, I literally, I've gone into terrible places. It's like, but not enough to set his beard on fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listeners, what nuts. Happy New Year if you're the type of people who celebrate such things. I think we're still in the, we can still say Happy New Year, right? Yeah. Even though it be released like a, a week after New Year. Yeah. It's, like, it's still kind of new. What, mm-hmm. what, what do you want, people? <laughs> we'll be back next week. It'll be a Baxter building. It'll be wonderful. It's the end of the Steve Englehart run. It will be worth it, I promise. Until then. Bye! Beautiful. Just beautiful, Graham. Oh my god. <laughs>